I want to second that invitation real quick. If you are a parent or a child uh, or a young adult, go to the sex discussions. Um, as a society, and I think particularly as a church, we have uh, a really tragic and destructive lapse, void of sexual wisdom. Um, and we've got a lack of the wisdom, and in some cases we have an even worse case of not being able to transfer our wisdom to the next generation. So let's reset our course on a wisdom and on a faithfulness around those things. So I would say not even if you're a parent, even if you're just an adult, go to the parent sexuality course, have these discussions, learn how to be faithful yourself so you can teach faithfulness. We are continuing our Three Invitations of Christ series. The first invitation was to carry the yoke of Christ. We talked about that two weeks, and then last week Eric talked about what is our second invitation, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's read the word together from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 30. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you? By worrying at a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? The pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Do all of you have a, a little bulletin in front of you? Many of us don't. If you don't, I encourage you to grab one. Uh, one of our ushers can help uh, bring you one if you want to raise your hand. Uh, you might need a pen. <clears throat> Take a moment. No worries. Um, as a reminder, I get to preach. It's an honor. It's a gift. It's a pleasure. Uh, but I want to remind you something of which you already know or should. Preaching is not at all about me saying something cool to you. Right? That's not what it's about. We preach the word because we want together to fellowship around the word and be shaped according to the word. It's actually the, the sermon the, is the same as the worship that we do. It's a shared event. It's work that we partake together so that we can be formed into Christ-likeness. Preaching is about following Jesus together. Two weeks ago, I preached about the yoke, and I talked about how it's our part of our human nature to be workers, to be laborers, that this is actually a good thing. And the first step 
is to take on that yoke of Christ, to put off our yoke, the commitment that we have inside of ourselves that I'm going to make all my own decisions for myself and live according to my wisdom, and instead to carry the yoke of Christ and say, I'm going to take up your work because I believe that it will give me peace, that it will give me Sabbath rest as opposed to just comfort. Remember that vaguely, some of you? It was this sermon about the difference between our responsibilities on the one hand and and God's responsibilities. And God, when we take his yoke upon ourselves, gives us a better picture of our responsibilities. I said this, this is not works righteousness, maybe you'll remember this phrase. To put on the work of Christ is not a works righteousness. It is not a substitute for grace but it is living into the fullness of life that grace has invited us into. We're not interested in taking up a new yoke, right, like the Pharisees tried to impose on others. I don't want to tell you new laws. Grace and grace alone is what gives us life, but grace invites us to work. I want to give another statement on grace this morning before we dive deeper into this text. It's this. Grace does not change righteousness, but it opens the door for us to walk in it. You hear the distinction? Right now, like David brought up, Natalie and Eric are at General Synod of the RCA, and there are two dominant voices in the discussion. Um, One Uh, that will talk about themselves as being for grace and the other one that will talk about themselves as being for order. It's a bogus distinction. (laughs) It's a bogus distinction. Grace does not create disorder. Say it again with me. Grace does not create disorder. Grace creates peace. Grace does not change what righteousness means. Grace opens the door for us to walk in righteousness. Think about it this way, right? There's a road that Jesus is inviting us to walk on, and the toll cost is way too high. It's like $3.50, like one of those Chicago ones. I know, I know. And you got to get it both ways, so there's no avoiding it. $7 just to get to the Starbucks, Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) what we want grace to mean is that I can sit down and not do anything anymore grace at its first step the justification of Christ the blood of Christ is a paid toll he says wear this yoke this yoke's got a symbol on it it's the easy pass you put this yoke on you can get on that road we're going to walk it together And this passage that we just read, Matthew 6, 25 through 30, comes right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Eric brought this up last week as well. We're going to hone in kind of on the whole Sermon on the Mount this Sunday. But hear these words from chapter 7, starting in verse 13. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In other words, the road, the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus, to follow Jesus, is it grace-filled? 
Yeah. Does that grace widen the path? No. Put yourself in the shoes, if you will, of the people who are listening to Jesus. We're up on a hill by the Sea of Galilee. Presumably it's nice out because it's almost always nice out there. Not cold and bitter like this morning. But maybe it was. Who knows? Maybe he was talking about clothes because they were a little frigid and it was still a dewy morning. And he starts teaching them. Turn with me to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to skim here. He says to the people, began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you. Rejoice and be glad. Be salt and light in the world. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Grace does not change righteousness, right? But it opens the door for us to walk in it. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless... Your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. At least with that line. What opens the door for us to the kingdom of heaven? Can you, according to your own strength and will, have a righteousness that supersedes the Pharisees? They were as rigorous and as true as they could get, right? So what opens the door to the kingdom of heaven? Grace. Is the path widened? (laughs) Is the law thrown aside and tossed. No, it's fulfilled. What is that law? Don't murder people. Don't even be angry. Don't commit adultery. Don't even look with lust in your heart, else you do the same. What Moses told you about divorce, he was going easy on you. Don't make any oaths. When you say yes, let it be yes. When you say no, let it be no. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. When you give to the needy, do it with the generosity in your heart. And don't do it so others can see. I know what you're really after. When you pray, don't do it out in public so that people think you're all righteous. Go into the closet where your father sees you and hears you. And there... Lift up your prayers to the Lord. The same with fasting. Store your treasures in heaven. If you've got too much in the world, give it away. Put yourself (laughs) on the hill. Put yourself on the hill. And you see why in this next moment he steps back. He says, all right, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Don't worry. Don't worry. The Sermon on the Mount is ultimately about 
what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God first, to seek his righteousness. There's a lot more in the scripture that we can go to about what is the kingdom of God, the parables of Jesus, the, 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 the working of the kingdom of God out through the church and the book of Acts and through the epistles, but a phenomenal place to start. If you, in your heart, in your mind, in your will, have said to the Lord, yes, I want to carry your yoke. Let's walk this narrow path together. Well, your step-by-step guide, in many ways, the starting point for what it looks like to walk that path is this very Sermon on the Mount. And it's terrifying. It's worrisome. And he says, go to the very end of it. He says, verse 24 of chapter 7. We can get this one up. I'll give you a little more time, Cindy. I'm throwing her all over the place. 24 of chapter 7. He says, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I've heard it said, I've heard it taught, that the Sermon on the Mount is so intense with its standard of righteousness because it wants the hearer to see it, perceive it as unattainable, and lean into grace. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, these are what you're supposed to do. This is not the unattainable standard that Jesus is putting so we can say, woe is me, I'll never live up. Trust me, you won't live up, but that is the target. That is the path. Grace opens the door, and grace carries you step by step along the way, but the path is narrow. To seek the righteousness of God, to seek his kingdom, is not to do what you find comfortable, is not to do what you find easiest. It's to take the worries that you have and to replace them with trust in God, that his way is actually good, that he will actually care for your needs. Worry is at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, which is about obedience to the Lord, faithfulness and righteousness, because I believe, and here's my proposal today, that for most of our sins, worry is at the heart. Any of you seen Shrek? What's donkey say? They're walking through the fields. He picks a vegetable out of the ground. Ogres are like onions. They just got lots and lots and lots of layers. Well, I'm going to give you a little uh, taste of humanity. Humanity, humans, you are like onions too. And your outer layer often is confidence, but it's very thin and you peel it off because it's no good, just like an onion. And then every layer under that is probably some layer of worry. And that worry corrupts us. Worry is the lock, if you will, to the door of obedience. Not worrying, i.e. trust, 
is the key that opens up our ability to obey. I want to go back into the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to look a little bit through this, but I want you to ask yourself a question real quick. You got that outline in front of you? Got a pen, a pencil, or a really good memory? Real simple. Take a few moments. I'm going to stop talking. Hallelujah. Answer the question, what did you last lose sleep over? Real simple. Doesn't have to be anything profound. What did you last lose sleep over? I see some laughter over here. I think they know. (laughs) What worry did you have that kept you up a little bit extra? Maybe woke you up a little bit early. Anyone want to be brave and shout theirs for everyone else to hear? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Plus, plus answer. Career issues. Kids and their well-being. Some sort of generic conflict. Thanks, Pete. Money, health, social security, is that what I heard? Oh, surgery results, yeah. COVID, sure. Don't feel shame. There's a big difference, we'll get to this at the end, between worry the feeling and worry the guide that we let control our lives. But pay attention. What have you been worried about? Let's go back to the beginning of the Beatitudes. Why did Christ think it was important to put this comforting word about worry right in the center, right in the heart as a little interruption as if to say, I know what you're feeling. The Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Raise your hand if you've ever been worried about being poor, not having enough money. Raise your hand if you've ever been worried about some sort of tragedy that might cause you to mourn. Raise your hand if you've ever been worried about being hungry or thirsty. This is a remarkable lack of hands in this room. Pay attention to that about that one. You can imagine. We'll jump around a little bit. You've heard it said, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. I am so mad at this person. For what they did, I need to get my vengeance. They need to get theirs. And if I don't do my part in making sure that they receive the punishment that they deserve, nobody else will. Does that sound familiar? Translated, 
I'm so worried that nobody is looking after my well-being and the well-being of those who I care about that I have to be angry because nobody else will care for me. There is no justice but the one that I myself can initiate. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't commit adultery. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, I'm worried that if I don't have the most beautiful spouse, the most comforting spouse, the world will look down on me. I'm, I'm worried if I don't get my desires fulfilled in this moment that I'm going to lash out. I'm worried that if I don't get my desires filled, I'll never experience joy again. I'm worried as people look at me, they don't really want me. I'm worried that I'm such an embarrassment of a human that I don't belong. So I'm going to get mine and prove that I can conquer, prove that I can marry again, prove that I can... Don't worry. Don't worry. Love your enemies. Well, if I love my enemies, they'll win. And therefore, I will lose. Don't worry. Don't worry. Worry is the lock that keeps us from faithfulness. Worry is what keeps us from hearing the words and believing that if we follow them, we won't be okay. We think if we follow the way of Jesus according to his actual words, my identity is going to get lost. My well-being is going to get lost. Justice won't be served. I won't be well-perceived enough. Jesus says, do not worry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Worry not only is the lock that keeps us from righteousness, you can flip it on its head. Worry is the catalyst that enables sin in your life. Worry is the catalyst that enables sin in your life because worry's counterpart is trust. Worry's counterpart is faith. And when I don't trust God in his way, when I don't believe that the Lord himself is enough, that the Lord knows what I need and will provide those things for me, I need to take matters into my own hands. And in my own hands, I'm going to fall right off the cliff. Do you know what worry keeps you from doing? Keeps you from loving at all. There's no way that Jesus can come down from his heavenly throne to become a poor man if he's worried about his own glory or about getting his own. There's no way he can teach a society to be built on serving one another if they're concerned and worried about themselves. I can only serve if I'm not worried. I can only love if I'm not worried. Every time worry creeps up in your life and takes control of your life, remember, not just the feeling, but it is a guide. You're both compelled to sin and unable, at least in fullness, fullness that God is calling us to, to love. 
I want our prayer to be, Lord, I want to be not too worried to love. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men and and women to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to the needy, you don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I don't want to be too worried to love the poor because I won't be able to pay my bills. I don't want to be too worried that if I don't eat enough food, I'm not going to get enough. I want to ask you some questions. They're on your outline. Hopefully you wrote down, what did you last lose sleep over? Let's get a little more precise. What have you done recently or in the long-term past, that you know is different, subtly or greatly, from the way that Jesus teaches us. Don't be embarrassed. Only you and the Lord will know what you write, possibly your nosy neighbor. That's on them. Plus, we want to be a confessing community because through confession, we can be healed. Amen? What have you done that you know is different than the way Jesus teaches us to walk, either subtly or, or, or in large part? At one point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, give to anyone who asks of you. (laughs) That can't be real. (laughs) Someone hits you, turn the other cheek. Someone asks a favor of you, don't even just do it begrudgingly, but go an extra mile carrying their bag. (laughs) Let's not soften the way of Jesus so that we've met it. Let's look at the way of Jesus and ask him to help us walk in it. What have you done that you know is different than the way Jesus teaches us? And the next question I want you to answer. You've already read it, and I know it's not a surprise. We're going to do it together. What worry do you carry that motivated that decision? No way I could honor the Sabbath because if I don't work seven days a week, who's going to provide for me?
If I honor my father and mother, they won't know how the way they treated me when I was younger made me feel. What worry do you carry that motivated that decision? And then, whether or not you actually think it would meet your needs, leave that question on the table. Whether or not you think that following Jesus could leave you up on a cross like it left him, what would the way of Jesus look like in that situation? What would it have looked like in that situation for you to have followed Jesus fully? For you to have just trusted his word? What would that have looked like? You don't have to believe that it was the right choice, but write down what he would have said, what you believe. I think this can be a helpful exercise each time we come into a situation. If you perceive worry bubbling up inside of you around a particular instance, around a particular moment, if you know in your heart of hearts that the the, the way of the Lord would look this way, but you're scared about it or something, just at first take note of it. Run through this practice. What is this worry that's motivating my decision? What would the way of Jesus look like? Engage your trust. It's true in peculiar situations or particular situations, unique situations, moments of deciding if I'm going to walk this narrow path along the edge of the cliff that is following Jesus or if I'm going to divert course into the wide and comfortable valley of following my own way. But I think, like I said before, we're kind of like these peeled or unpeeled onions And oftentimes we have too many layers of worry to even know where to start. And as soon as we pull one off, we find another one. And what we end up is we're worried about following Jesus in full at all, regardless of the particular circumstances, because of how severe it seems, because we don't trust that the way of Christ will actually lead to life I want to point out something really really neat in this passage, though, just as a comfort. Let the grace of the Lord wash over you and convince you of God's goodness. Let his spirit come in this moment and enable trust and faith from you and within you, the gift that he gives. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about the clothes that you wear. Oh, strange examples. 
In this little passage, Jesus foreshadows the cross. He says, don't worry about the body and the blood because I'm going to provide it for you. Don't worry about the food that you need to eat because I'm going to provide it for you. And don't worry about the clothes that you wear because he's foreshadowing the resurrection because I'm going to provide those for you too. This is the food that you need that will nourish you through thick, through thin, through rain, through thunder, through hail, through sleet. And trust me, it's not going to tear your clothes because at the end of it, you're going to wear a robe that I've provided for you that's white as snow, that shines like the sun. Do not worry about your life. They might take it from you, but I've already given you mine. Do not worry about what you wear. The world's going to rip you to shreds, and that is okay. Because my clothes will last forever. You're going to come to the wedding banquet, and you're going to be perfectly dressed. The narrow path is treacherous, and it's steep. And I want to be clung right next to Jesus under that yoke so that with his step, I track right alongside him because as soon as I decide to follow my own way, I'm going to dive off. Why a bird? Why a flower? You ever seen a flower fall off a cliff? No, I want to be like a flower and know that I'm made like a flower, that my roots can run deep and that the Lord can delight in the way that he's made me even though I might be here and gone just in the blink of an eye. Why a bird? You ever seen a bird fall off a cliff? And soar right along. Do not worry, because the Lord has made you for this path to walk it in obedience, and he's provided the food that you need along the way, and at the end, you'll be wearing clothes that look like the sandals of the Israelites after they traveled through Egypt. Not worn at all. Worry along the way is likely going to be a constant. It's likely going to be something that we feel regularly. I know I do. I pray it reduces. And yet, I pray with you today that it would never be your guide. That worry would never be your guide. Trust is the opposite of worry, right? Obedience, Jesus says, those who hear my words and obey. Obedience is the practice of trust. Amen? If you are encountering a situation where you can let worry guide you or you can let trust guide you, practice obedience in spite of whatever you're feeling. Don't let worry be your guide. Today has enough worry of its own, Jesus says. Worry about making the right choice now, today. Don't worry about the consequences of that right choice, what you'll have to deal with tomorrow. The Lord provides the bread. It's his kingdom. It's his righteousness. It will be done his way. Let's walk that way together. Jesus, would we experience the joy of freedom 
in your life. Would we experience the joy of walking this path with your, um, yourself right by our side? Jesus, as we find ourselves worrying through bearing one another's burdens, through the confidence that you give us in your Holy Spirit, through the grace that we've received from your body, from your blood, Lord, help us to walk this path together. For those of us who are teetering on the edge, of whether or not to take this yoke, to go through that toll, to walk this narrow path, or just to step to what we've known, step to what the world does, where it's wide and where it's easy. Lord, give us eyes to see rightly that that wide path just funnels right down to the Dead Sea. Lord, but that your narrow path will lead us up the mountain too. Zion, to Jerusalem, to your kingdom. Spirit of God, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to this fellowship. Let us see the standard that you bore of perfection and of righteousness, and Lord, make it a reality in each of our day-to-days. That we would be able to love and love without concern. That we would be able to give out of joy and generosity, not out of compulsion or a desire to be seen as something more than we are. And Lord, in all of these things, would you be so, so, so glorified as your family is brought together around you and around your table? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace.